Um, well, again, I just want to say thank you guys all for being here this morning. Uh, for a lot of us, let me just start right away. For a lot of us, before um, you moved out of your house, before you got a real grown-up job or you went to college or um, before you got married, before you started parenting kids, wherever like stage of life most of you are in, before any of that, what, do you know what your lives like centered around? Can you think back for some of you, that was a long time ago, but for some of you, that wasn't so long ago. What did you do when you were younger, before adulthood kicked in? And if you're online, you can type in something that you thought that you used to do. Um, guys, friends, people, you, I mean, yeah, I mean, you guys remember that a long time ago? You used to be fun. You used to go out and, and see other people. I mean, in high school, what did you do? You went early to school to hang out with your friends, and then you, had, you sat by your friends in class, and then at lunch you sat with your friends, and then after school you went home and you played Xbox at your friend's house, and, and you laughed with your friends. If you were like me, you got in trouble with your friends, and, and you guys probably went through some difficult times, and your friends were there for you. Our lives centered everything around other people, these friendships. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this and thinking when I was a kid or a teenager, and I was like, man, yeah, I remember that. And then I thought, you know, kids these days, and, and by kids, I mean anyone under the age of 18, okay? So kids these days will never, ever know the rush of adrenaline a guy would get calling a girl he liked on the phone and having to talk to her dad first. Okay, like I remember that. I'd be like, okay, bum, 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 bum. And then I'd be like, please let it be her. Please let her answer. Please let her answer. And when it, hello, I'm like, oh, shoot. Is, um, hey, is, is Tanya there? Who is this? Wrong number. Wrong number. Just, just forget it. I'm sorry. I, I live. And, you know, or something like that. Um, and, and the kids these days also, look at this is, I'm going to, for, for you guys, some of you are going to feel really old here. Feel old with me. Um, I, I don't feel that old, but I feel old when I said, um, I realized that a lot of younger people won't ever understand either what it's like to have a sibling listening in on another phone. They won't, okay, if you're watching online and you're under 18, you don't even know what I just said there. You're like listening in on another phone. Like, did they hack your smartphone? No, there was at one point, all the phones in the house were connected to the same line. So if you had an annoying little brother or sister, they could be up in their room listening to you talk to Tanya and snickering and giggling and be like, hey, do you hear that? Hold on a second. Then, you know, you run upstairs and you pound your little brother for doing that. And, and you say, sorry, Tanya, you know, he cries a lot when I hit him, but it's all right. Now, what were we talking about again? Um, kids, these days, we'll never know what that's like, but uh, those, those, were some, those were some good times. There were some fun times anyway. Um, but it just goes back to that idea that friends really were life. Um, friends were life. And it'll come as no surprise to you that, that we are hardwired for that. We've talked extensively about the biology behind relationships, but I'll, I'll just kind of reiterate some of those things. Uh, studies show, lots of studies show inconclusively, um, studies on your actual physical brain that the presence of family and friends can reduce your stress levels, okay? They can reduce your stress levels. Now, let me just make sure I'm clear here. It doesn't mean that they take stress away. Anybody who's married and has in-laws know that other people, especially family, can increase the amount of stress in your life, right? Um, just kidding. No, yeah, that's right. Everyone's like, no, that's not, you know, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> but you know, but what we're saying is, is that it, they won't stop stressful things from happening. Okay, being a part of this church isn't going to stop stressful things from happening. Having a family is not going to start uh, stop stressful things from happening. But what they showed was that having friends and family around when something stressful was introduced, actually the chemicals in your brain released less of those things that stressed you out. So you'd have lower blood pressure. 
So it's actually healthy, physically healthy for you to have friends and family near you. As a sidebar, that's why I talk about small group all the time. I just know that it's so important for your physical health, not just your spiritual health. Okay, we're going to talk about spiritual health a lot here, but it is so good for your physical and emotional health to be in a small group. Um, when Megan and I first got married, we loved hosting people in our apartment. It was fun because like we're grownups now and we have our own apartment and let's clean up. And, and this is our dog, you know, our dog child, Delilah. She was a bad dog and, and that's fine, but we loved her anyway because she was our dog and we'd clean up. And then for hours and hours and hours until like the middle middle of the night and three and four in the morning, we would play board games and we would just talk about stuff, life, politics, education, dreams that we had. Um, We would watch movies. I don't know if I mentioned that, video games, all of this. And it was great. It was so awesome. And then what ended up happening is as our friends started to get married, some of them chose to have kids right away. Some of them didn't choose, but they did have kids right away. Okay. You following? Now, so they had kids right away. And what would happen was they would stop coming. We'd be like, hey, you want to come over? And they'd be like, no, you know, we can't. No, we'd love to. We can't. And I was just always like, you know what? Whenever we have kids, we're never going to be like them. Like, I'm not going to blame my kids for being lazy and not wanting to go out on a Friday night. Um, We would never, ever be those people. Now, um, now that I have kids, I am those people is it my son Oliver's fault? Yes, mostly. It really is his fault, okay? Mostly. Um, I, I don't know if it's his fault that I can't function on four hours of sleep. That Like I used to, I feel like I could have like four hours. Oh man, that's great. I'm ready to go. Um, now it's like I'm falling asleep at 9.30 watching Netflix. I'm like, what is going on? I wake up at seven. I don't even feel like I slept last night. I'm like, man, you guys are just ready to wheel me off to the nursing home. I mean, honestly, that's how it feels. Um, so, so what is that? So that's partially Oliver's fault, but there's actually more research and studies that show that socially you peak at the age of 25. It's interesting, isn't it? Socially you peak at the age of 25. So if you're not 25, if you're under 25, you've been warned, okay, at 25. And if you're a guy, you're going to start losing your hair. But the other thing you're going to start doing is you're going to start losing your friends. Uh, it just happens. It is the science. That, and what it shows was that it rapidly decreases rapidly. It happens really, really fast that you begin to lose your friends. So what happens? You turn 25, the gravitational pull, so to speak, you're getting pulled towards loneliness and you're getting pulled towards isolation. That's what naturally is going to end up happening just by turning 25. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Well, just because you turn 25 and and you start losing your friends, it doesn't mean that you lose the need for friends. There's no study in the world that shows that you don't need friends at some point, that you've just outgrown people. That doesn't happen. That's not true. Um, As we mentioned, that friends and family actually reduce stress. So we're talking about this because we're doing this series called The Invitation. And in The Invitation, we're talking about living missionally living missionally. And I'm like, oh, I love those buzzwords. And I think we're like, okay, but what does that mean? It means making the most out of every opportunity with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your neighbors. Maybe it's the random waitress at the Denny's down the road, but it's making the most of those opportunities to introduce people to the love, grace, and forgiveness of Jesus 
that we ourselves have all experienced. We've experienced that new life, that fresh life. We've experienced the victories. And for a lot of us, we can say, I tried it on my own, couldn't do it on my own. I found Jesus and through Jesus's help and the powering of the Holy Spirit, I was able to overcome. Why wouldn't we want everybody we know to know about that? And so that's why we do this series every year because our mission at Madison Church, connecting people with God and each other, It's relational to the core, but what did I just say? The older you get, the harder it is to maintain those relationships. So we have an uphill battle, folks. That's what I'm saying. It's going to be difficult, and it is difficult, because when people come to a church that advertises, we connect people with God and each other, they come and they're like, I want to make 10 new friends, and I want to have three new best friends, and I want it to be perfect. And they come here, and they're like, well, everyone else is kind of weird, but you're kind of weird too. So, you know, that's, that's kind of give and take, but we have this thing where people are coming in and they're not necessarily good at making friends, not necessarily good at friendship. And we all come together and we're like, but we're going to try. So we do series like this every year because we're like, we need to keep giving the advice so we can keep working and living missionally together without ripping each other's hair out. Now, here's the thing. I think that this series is very simple and I think that it's very challenging. Simple in that it's as, you just got to make an invitation. You just got to invite somebody. And that's not, I'm not asking you to do a lot. If you have kids, you've invited other kids to a birthday party. I bet if you have kids, you've also been invited to some birthday parties. I bet at work, sometime they've gone out for a happy hour and you probably got invited. Now, here's the thing. If I'm saying all of this and you're like, I never get invited to anything, we might have a different issue. But the point is, is that we have all been invited and we've all invited other people. But it is also challenging. I'm not going to say that it's just simple. Just go out and invite everybody you see. It's also challenging because there's a lot of fear around it. Like, what if I invite my coworker, my neighbor, my mom, my sister, my son? What if I do these things? I invite them and they reject me. Well, they might. What if they think you're weird? They already do. Okay, but I think that you should do it anyway. I think that you should do it anyway. Just as Dan mentioned last week, why? Why do I think that you should do it? Okay, I do not think you should do it so that we can fill these chairs, so that we can fill a church building up. If we wanted to fill a building up, we would have bought a movie theater instead and we would have made a lot of money doing it, okay? But we don't want to do it that way. We do it because Jesus makes our lives better and makes us better at life. Jesus makes our lives better, makes us better at lives. People need to experience Jesus, not just hear about him. They need to experience him, not just hear about him. And this is a very special place for that. That's why we're talking about the invitation and bringing people. Because, yes, God is with you everywhere you go. God was with you this morning. God will be with you when you leave. God is with you every moment of every single day. But here's the thing. How often are you aware of that? And how often are you thinking about God the way that he's thinking about you? God thinks about you every moment of every single day. How often throughout the week or throughout a day, throughout an hour, are you thinking about God the way that he's thinking about you? And that's not to shame or guilt or make any of you feel bad, not at all, but it's to say that in this hour, I bet you're thinking about God a lot. We sing songs about God. We're talking about God right now. We pray to God. And so in this one hour, it's the one time a week for a lot of us where we are thinking about God more than any other time. So that's why when we're talking about inviting people, we want them to experience Jesus. And it is in this place, we have a really great opportunity to let them experience Jesus. Um, People like Brianna, 
tell us about your church background. So I really didn't really have one. Um, I kind of went to church for holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, but didn't really go until a couple years ago. Okay. What? Um, so you were born here? Yes. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, it's on. You just got to talk into it more. <laughs> Cheap microphones. Okay. When did you first hear about Madison Church and who invited you? I heard about it about three years ago from um, a coworker, Matt Osborne, from at, that I work with at Hy-Vee. He invited me. Okay. And what did you think about everything when Matt first invited you? Candidly, tell us. What did you think? Was he a weirdo or what, what was it? So talking to him before that, before him inviting me to church, he just talked about just random things. And then when he invited me, I'm like, Hmm. He's talking about like really interesting, so it got me intrigued. So it got me to like, let me go and figure out what's what's all this about. Yeah. So the way he was talking about it, just kind of you were interested. Yeah. It sounded interesting. Okay. Um, what was it like your first Sunday, or just right at the beginning of coming to Madison Church? What was it? Yeah. What was it like? It was more like more well, a lot more welcoming, more friendly faces, more smiling, more a lot more talking talkative to more people, just more friendly. Now, when you mean more friendly, you mean more friendly compared to other churches or compared to us now? <laughs> I've got to ask. <laughs> um, more friendly than other churches. Okay, there we go. I just wanted to clarify for everybody. I was like, wait a second. What's kept you coming back? The people. friendly, The friendliness environment. Um, I, feel, I feel like home here. Yeah. Spiritual family. Okay. Can you tell us just a couple examples of how you've seen growth in your own life since coming in here? I've seen a lot me knowing that I've prayed a lot more than I did before. And then um, also more friend friendships turns into like more like a family than did before. Yeah, a lot of closeness and yeah, friends. Yeah. yeah. We've gotten to celebrate a lot with your family and, and some difficult times over the past couple of years too. And, yeah. and to just be able to have that community around you. Uh, what would you say to someone, got all these people in here, they're thinking maybe maybe I should invite so-and-so, a neighbor, family. What would you say to them, but they're hesitating right now? Um, I would say pray to God to see who needs that invitation and to give you the strength and then just do it. Um, Why? Because you can't, it doesn't really hurt to just to invite somebody. They might say no, but then you can't say that you didn't try. Maybe they didn't need that invitation just that time. It could be somebody else that needed that, but you didn't find the right person. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Brianna. You're welcome. Brianna is one of my favorite stories at Madison Church. Some of you know Brianna very well. Others of you don't. But Brianna started coming to our church three years ago. I invited Matt. Matt started coming to our church because I invited him. Matt invited Brianna. I baptized Matt. Matt baptized Brianna, and Brianna ever since has taken this inviting thing very seriously. She's invited a ton of people at our church, and she even baptized her mom last year. And so I, I think it's just a great story. I love when she said, um, you know, you should just invite people. Because she's speaking from experience that, like, all of the things that she could have missed out on had Matt not invited her, had Matt been uncomfortable with inviting her, um, I, I kind of vaguely pointed out that there have been a couple difficult times over the past years. She's had some family members who have passed away. And, and for our church to be able to walk alongside her and, and to do those things, it's just, it's been awesome. And it's a two-way relationship. Um, it's not like 
Brianna doesn't contribute here. I mean, every Sunday Brianna's here at 8 a.m. putting up chairs and stage. And so um, it is definitely a two-way street. We need Brianna and Brianna, I think you need us. And I think that's fair to say. She's nodding her head if you're watching online with agreement here. Um, so let's go to Matthew 9, okay? So I've, I've talked, I've talked about studies, research. We've done a story now with Brianna. We've introduced you to the series. Let's go to Matthew 9, because I want to look at three different stories about Jesus and how he invests in relationships, okay? How he invests. Last week, Dan talked about identifying people. We're going to pray. Who sticks out in our minds? But today, I want to now uh, kick the ball a little bit further down the road and say that it is very, very important to invest in relationships. And you're like, does that mean like I have to give them money not necessarily. I'm going to talk about several different ways that we can invest in the people around us who we think God might be telling us uh, to invite. And so the very first thing you got to know about Matthew is Matthew is Jewish. Uh, he's writing to a Jewish audience when he writes. Um, this is after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So when he writes, he is trying to convince other people who are Jewish uh, of Jesus's divinity. Because the Jewish people in that time and period, they were looking for a David 2.0. They were looking for a divine warrior who would come in and overthrow the entire Roman Empire, put them back on top, the Israelites, the, the Jews, and that they would then, okay, have all the prosperity. Jesus did none of that. Jesus was actually killed by the Roman Empire. So to them, they were like, well, we're not buying it. And Matthew is pleading with them to change their mind. He says, you guys had a, a misunderstanding of what Jesus, who Jesus was. And, and in your mind, you thought the Messiah was going to be this, but you were wrong. And so when Matthew writes, it's kind of interesting in that it is apologetic in nature. And apologetic meaning like offering a defense to his faith. And so um, let's just read uh, verses 1 and 2 together. Um, Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. So prior to this story, what's Jesus doing is going all around the region, healing people, casting out demons, just doing things that you would do if you were also the sinless son of God. Okay, so that's what he's doing. And what we read right now is Jesus gets in a boat, which is his form of transportation, and he's going back to his town. He's going home after a business trip. Some of you guys who have traveled or have worked a double shift at work, I mean, you guys know what it's like to just, you get off work and you get in the car, you sit down, you exhale. <sighs> Let's just go home. And what happens is as soon as Jesus is stepping off of the boat, there are people there waiting with another request. That is the equivalent of you getting out of your car from the airport and a customer being at your door and being like, hey, I got a question for you. Even the most gracious and kind person in the room would have a hard time with that. Okay, and, and so we can see kind of like, okay, what, what, is, what is Jesus going to do here? He's tired, he's fatigued, he's been doing this thing, and, and all of a sudden we have these people bring in a guy who is ill to be healed. Um, and what Jesus says is, is really profound. He says, get up and walk away. No, actually he says, be encouraged. Okay, I like the way that this is sounding. He's saying, be encouraged. Your sins are forgiven. Great awesome. I still can't walk. 
Like, I mean, you, I'm just being practical, right? When you have a physical need that is not being met, whether it's relational, something mental, something physical, something financial, what we do is we come to Jesus and we're like, will you heal this? We sing the songs, we pray, and we say, will you heal this? And Jesus says, be encouraged. Like, I like the way this is starting. And he says, your sins are forgiven, but I'm still poor. But I still don't get along with my coworkers but I'm still depressed, I'm still anxious, but I still feel broken, be encouraged. Yeah, right. What's Jesus saying though? I believe that Jesus loves this person more than any other person has ever loved this person in their life, okay? I believe that. And actually read a little bit ahead, he does heal this guy. But what he starts off with is by identifying that sometimes the most obvious need isn't your greatest need. Most obvious would be a physical ailment. I can't walk. That is my most pressing need mentally. But Jesus looks through that and says, no, 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 no. You think not walking is your biggest problem. That's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is that you're not forgiven. And I forgive you. He meets that very first need first. And that's the first thing I want you all to to write down, tweet, to do something. Jesus invested in relationships by seeking to understand people's hearts. I firmly believe people don't just want to be heard. You have to listen. You can't just talk. And you can't just talk with people waiting to give them your response and your reply. But more importantly than just listening, people want to know that you understand them. Jesus sees this guy, doesn't know anything about him, met him for the very first time, and already Jesus knows. He understands that the biggest need in this guy's life was not a physical need, but it was a spiritual one. Jesus knew that he stood between this man and an eternity in hell or an eternity in paradise. And Jesus said, hey, look, I know you really want to walk. And isn't that true? Some of you guys, I don't know what that, I don't know what in your story is what the legs are, but that's what this guy wants. He wants his legs to be healed so he can walk. I don't know what your legs are. I don't know what the walk is in your life. And you're like, Jesus, I really want this. I'm really hoping. I'm really believing. I'm coming to you all the time. And he says, be encouraged. Your sins are forgiven. Or maybe it's a different version of that. Maybe you are forgiven. Great. Maybe there's something else in your life that Jesus is saying, now this. And sometimes so often what we want to do is we want to focus on this. And God's like, no, no, no. Can you just focus on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to this. And just the verse, he heals the guy. But the first step is right here. God does things his way. He is the Lord of life. We are not. And so he says, hey, I need you to do step two before we're going to get to step three. And so when we're looking at people and we're investing in people, people are not projects. It's not like, well, I'm going to, you know, strategically strategize and you got this whole board at home with first I'm going to take them out for coffee, then we're going to take them out for a meal, and then we're going to do this, and we're going to take a little weekend getaway together, and then I'm going to pop the question, you know, will you go to church with me this Easter? Like, no, I don't do that. That's weird, okay? Like, back up, okay? But are we really seeking to understand what people are going through? And what I think is, is that a lot of us don't. This is the tough part of the message. It only gets easier from here, okay? A lot of us say, I will be baptized when I stop doing this, when I get over this, when I get healed, right? I have a lot of conversations with people who want to be baptized, and they often think that they need to figure something out before they get baptized. 
Baptism is literally the first step. Before Jesus starts his public ministry, he himself is baptized. And what we see throughout the entire book of Acts is that is always the first step. They're going around telling people about Jesus. And they're like, okay, yeah, we believe in Jesus. What's next? What do we need to do? Read our Bible. Do we need to pray? Do we need to give? Do we need to start churches? What do we need to do? And they're like, no, we need to go down to the river because you need to get baptized. And for a lot of us, we put all these stipulations. Well, when I beat this addiction, well, you know, I just, mm, whatever it might be. And, and false. What you're doing is you're creating and you're, you're misplacing. Your spiritual need is that you need to be baptized. Your physical need might be something else, but the first we're going to take care of that spiritual need. Uh, I'll go to a small group when I feel better or when I feel like it. Eh, I think going to a small group will make you feel better. So instead of waiting to feel better to go to a small group, go to a small group to feel better. Meet that spiritual need first. This one I get all the time, okay? I will give generously when I get the raise and promotion. You will not. I guarantee it. Like your heart, like the thought, you will not. Generosity is something you have to figure out before you ever have money because it only gets harder the more of it you have. Right now, a tithe might be, I get, you know, 300 bucks a week, so a tithe is 30 bucks. And for someone who makes $300 a week, 30 bucks is a lot of money. That's a tank of gas. That's a cell phone bill. I'm not saying that it's not a lot of money. Okay, if you made a million dollars this year, a hundred thousand dollar donation to the church is a very, also very significant and big. A hundred thousand dollars, you could buy a couple new cars, a new house, and that's just one year. And I'm guessing that, you know, there's a whole bunch of us who just fall somewhere closer to the $300 a week. I was going to say somewhere in the middle. No, that's, let's, we're all closer to that. Okay. You have to figure it out in your, in your mind right now that I'm going to be generous before I have more. But what do we do? We say, when I have more, I will give. We're trying to deal with step seven, and God's saying, no, no, no. Step two is a generous heart. It's not about how much you have. It's about what you do with what you have. Um, and again, I, I think we get them all crisscrossed because we put our physical needs. I need more money. I don't feel like it. I need to figure this out before our spiritual needs. I need to go to small group. I need to develop generosity. I need to be baptized. Okay, so we invest in people's hearts all around us. So when you go to work or it's your neighbor, seek to understand them truly. And don't just jump at the most obvious need. Try to figure out and ask God's help. What is their biggest need? Story number two, let's go down to verse 10. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think that they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. This Matthew in the story is a tax collector. Tax collectors were really despised in this case. He was Jewish, working for the Roman Empire that the Jews hoped the Messiah would overthrow. So here's a guy who's your brother, your family, same tribe, and he's working for the empire. What's worse is that he's like your CPA accountant once a year. He's coming to collect all your taxes. But what you don't know about Matthew is that sometimes he tells you you owe a little bit more than you really do. So that way he can go out and buy the new UHD curve TV this Black Friday. Okay. So then when he's having a house party and everyone's watching the Packers on this new big screen TV, you know that you paid for that. 
Matthew didn't pay for that. You paid for that. And so what's going on is you have all these religious leaders who go to church and they tithe and they do all the things and they're upset. They're like, well, do you see this guy right here? And you see Jesus just, why isn't Jesus yelling at him? Why is Jesus, Jesus watching the game? Jesus drinking the beer that we bought. Like why, why isn't, why is Jesus even here? And Jesus says, you don't even understand your scriptures. The scriptures he's talking about is the Old Testament. See, so you don't even understand the Old Testament. Go and figure out what this passage means. He says, I have called, I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And that's why Jesus came. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Jesus invested in the relationships around him by affirming people's value. Let me be clear. He didn't affirm their values. He wasn't saying, Matt, nice TV. Matt, keep ripping those people off. Matt, keep stealing. Matt, keep not having integrity. That's great. No, what he did was he looked at Matthew and said, I see your value as a person right now. You may work with someone. Your neighbor may be someone that you absolutely fundamentally don't like, but can you? And I'm not trying to say you shouldn't be bugged by them, that they don't do wrong things. Jesus wasn't saying that. But can you see the value in every single person? Can you see somebody that Jesus thought was worth dying for in every person that you come in contact with? I'll just confess to you, I don't. I can't always see it. But can you? And can we? And can we take a step in that direction? Can we invest in other people by seeing their value? Now, the Matthew in this story is also the Matthew who wrote the book. So he writes about himself here. So in this case, you have a letter in your New Testament that churches all over the world right now are talking about. Not every church is talking about Matthew this morning, but a lot of them are. What would have happened? We would not have had the gospel of Matthew had Jesus not invested in Matthew's value. Someone you're working with might be just like Brianna. That that person, I see value in them. I'm going to invest in that person and see their value. And ever since then, Madison Church has been a much better place because of that. Our faith is much better because of Matthew. Last story, verse 18. As Jesus was saying this, Jesus is talking to some people. The leader of a synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand on her. What's really interesting about this is in the previous story, it was a leader of a synagogue or leaders of the synagogue, the Pharisees, who are calling Jesus out for hanging out with sinners. I don't know if this is the same Pharisee who was at the party or a Pharisee who was at the party or if it was a different one, but let's just say for the sake of this morning, he was there. Let's say for the sake of this morning. So he is in the, in the room saying, how can Jesus be hanging out with these guys? But when crisis hits that Pharisee, he loses a child. And anyone who's had a miscarriage or has lost a child or known someone who has lost a child know that that is the greatest crisis of all the crises. Terribly heartbreaking. And a lot of us who are parents and have kids, we can't fathom it if we haven't been there, what it would be like to lose a child. But if this Pharisee was at the party and his daughter dies, the crisis hits, who's the first person he comes to? He comes to that Jesus of Nazareth, the one who invests in people in their value, the one who can see what their needs are. And he goes to him. And what does he say? He says, I know if you can just come to my house and lay your hand on my daughter, that she'll come back to life. 
the faith of that guy. I already know you can heal her. It's not a matter of when or if. It's can you, will you right now come to my house so that my daughter can come back. And now he comes to the house. They're actually like having a little bit of like a funeral type of reception there for this girl. Jesus comes in. Dad says, hey, he's going to heal her. Everyone laughs at Jesus because dead people don't come back from the dead. Jesus says, get out. I need to go do my thing. He goes into the room, touches the girl. She wakes up. She's out. He says, she wasn't dead. She was just sleeping. No, you don't have a funeral for someone who's sleeping. She was dead. And Jesus put his hand on her and he healed her. And what that means is that Jesus invests in relationships by meeting specific needs. By meeting specific needs. Okay, and the first way he invests was that spiritual? I'm going to pray for you. There's a spiritual need. But the third, that's not, you should not always respond with thoughts and prayers. Doesn't mean on the flip side, you should never respond with thoughts and prayers. There's something that only God can heal and fix, okay? But the flip side of that, if there's a need you can meet, you don't need to ask the big man for permission. That's probably why you're there. That's probably why you know about it. There's all the signs right there. And you're like, well, God, I just need one more sign. What more do you need? If you hear somebody needs a utility bill paid, if you hear that they need a ride somewhere, you don't need to say, well, I really need God to speak to me. No, just do it. Just do it. Jesus met people's specific needs. Don't just offer people prayer. Pray for them, but also do something about it. And so as we get ready to leave today, let's end on this. When we go back out to our lives, out there, whatever you do tomorrow or later today, if you've got to go back to work, Ask yourself the question, am I following Jesus' example by investing in the people the way that he did? Do you see their value, the people that you come in contact with every day? Are you getting to know what their needs are? Are you able to meet their needs? Now, my guess is is that, like me, you're not, right? Can we just kind of maybe confess that this morning? Yeah, I could do a better job. There's room for improvement. When we used to give people um, employee reviews at Starbucks, it would be like, you got to pick something good out. What are they good at? Okay, yep, they're good because they wear their uniform. Okay, you don't really, great job. But then there were always a couple different performance factors when you weren't doing well. And it was like, long term, we would like to see you work on this. Long term, we would like you to develop this. Long term, we'd like to see you in management. But what we need to see are steps in the direction of maturity and dependability, okay? Then there were other things which were like, if you don't fix this tomorrow, you're getting written up for the third time and we're gonna fire you. So quit coming in, not in your uniform, please. And I would say that this message is the latter, is that let's fix this today. Jesus isn't gonna fire you, okay? He's way more gracious than I am. But let's fix this today. Let's not say, well, I'm gonna take three years to figure out how to invest in people. No, let's figure it out today. Every single person longs for meaningful relationships. They're just biologically hardwired for it. Doesn't mean it's not going to be difficult. And if you're over 25 here today, it is going to be difficult. We have an uphill battle, but we're going to do it. And we're going to start by identifying people and then investing in them by seeing their worth and by helping meet their needs. What if we lived in a community of people who walked every day like Jesus did? What if just the 15 or 20 of us in the room today made that decision? We could literally change some things. You don't have to be a church of a hundred or hundreds to do what I'm saying well. And we could begin to change our workplace, our neighborhoods, our families. Will we do that? Can you do that? I hope that you will. Let's, let's pray.